welcome everybody to the movie overload podcast um the podcast for the thing i don't i've never done this <laughs> intro and i don't remember how it goes we didn't i have think to, we cover we didn't have to rewrite the intro <laughs> we did. no we didn't, didn't even before. have to i could just do it um okay uh welcome to the movie overload podcast where we will be covering a hundred films through the history of cinema from a trip to the moon to parasite and everything in between except for woody allen fuck woody allen fuck woody allen yeah thank you um dang that guy dang him to heck (laughs) exactly um i guess we should go around first and introduce ourselves um as it tends to be something that we forget normally um but now as we're entering a new phase of the podcast anyway we have some new faces so i am uh what did i decide chicken nugget i don't know i'm chicken nugget okay Chicken thing. It's a slightly Hi. different brand of chicken than it's always, last time. Yeah. I mean, maybe I'm just always some kind of chicken. Maybe. Mm. Poultry pot products. You can be a spicy chicken nugget. Mm. Yeah. Next week. Sure. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we need to save some of this creative potential for future episodes. Exactly. True, true. In a few weeks, I'll be duck confit. Oh, oh cute. cute. Yeah. That was fun. Hi, I'm Aiden. <laughs> Go. Uh, somebody. Uh, sorry. Sorry. Uh, I, I'm, I'm Hunter still. Nice. Welcome. No. And I'm Anna. I'm I'm new, I guess. I'm not Hannah. I'm Anna, but it's still a palindrome. I just have no H's. Oh, tragic. Mm. Well, welcome. Yeah. We're happy yeah. to have you, even if, you know, we're now having to budget how many characters we can have in our names. <laughs> um, uh, I think I'm winning with uh, the character count. That's, but... mm, yep. uh, that's true. Yeah. And you're losing. Barely. Am, am I losing? Chicken nugget. Chicken, Chicken nugget. Chicken long. nugget has so many letters. Yeah. No, it's true. I'm not really... <laughs> It's like See, four syllables. I forget that budgets are supposed to be more like golf and less like bowling. I guess. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I was seeing like, oh man, I've achieved uh, this round even more letters. Um, oh. I, but, See, but then why would it be a good thing that my name has no H's? You're right. You're right. It's mm, a good point. Know. So the point is, this is probably going to be the the core group of people talking on the podcast going forward. True. Hannah will probably hopefully come back sometime as a, as a guest. She'll rotate in every once in a while, but for the most part, you'll be seeing these four. Some heck, heckin' busy schedules. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But it's changing Mm -hmm. around until I get hit by a bus and get replaced by an actual chicken. Right. (laughs) Wait, wasn't that probably a better takes to be honest. um, Wasn't that like an anti-Donna social media thing they were doing for a bit where like, Oh, Zach turned into a chicken nugget. Like, Oh my gosh, I forgot about (laughs) it. It was just like a bit they had going for, I forgot about that. That was really good. Uh, He was on the podcast for so many weeks in a row as a chicken nugget. (laughs) And it was incredible. Nice. Yeah. No, it was a good time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so I don't, I, I guess maybe some things about the format are also changing. Yes. Um, in general, we're probably going to opt for less, um, aggressive lecturing and reporting <laughs> and maybe have a little bit more, uh, discussion involved. Yes. So that should also hopefully uh, be a good thing. Um, see how it goes for, sure. for all of us. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to try it. Today's we'll probably going to feel a little bit more. Today's like a bit more of a lecture. Episodes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's okay. Because, so good. you know. It's Anna's inaugural episode, and yeah. uh, she happens to uh, I be, I'm, I'm just going to say it, uh, you're the biggest Bergman fan here. 
Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. I've seen one of his movies twice, but that makes me the hugest fan. I mean, I guess we'll, we'll get into well, how I've we all seen felt about it. Well, I've seen one of his movies two and a half times, and mm. I hate him. So that's, that's a difference. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, I've been... Yeah, I'm... And I will say, like, I guess I kind of formulated my thoughts and notes about this movie more in a discussion sense. That's kind of, I guess that's how I roll. And I also don't really have clear thoughts. I'm just kind of like, whoa, existentialism. Let's think about that. And Mm -hmm. I, like, go to the cafe at lunch. I'm like, I've been thinking a lot about existentialism. And my friends are like, oh, that's great, Anna. (laughs) Like, no, it's awesome. Like, how much silence do you tolerate from God before you stop believing in him? And they're like, Oh, Anna, that's really cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was fun. Well, yeah. I mean, I I find the topic really enjoyable. Mm-hmm. I'm, I hope I didn't get all of my thoughts on it out in the car ride over here <laughs> yeah. as I was screaming at Aiden all of my feelings about it. Most of your oh. feelings were about the the poor Kurosawa scholarship. Okay, like, that's true. The yeah. state of scholarship on Akira Kurosawa is in shambles. We can all agree. That's true. Mm-hmm. It's a little upsetting. Yeah. Um, I've been doing so Tell much research more. on that. Well, okay. Um, so, so for starters, uh, I was reading a book last night. That's one of the the more important books on Kurosawa called The Warrior's Camera. And he begins by talking about Kurosawa's suicide attempt, which is a weird way to start your um, like critical review of, of Kurosawa's films. Yeah. And he ends that uh, that chapter by talking about how Kurosawa's like kind of political aims to sort of transform Japan in this like post-war era failed. (laughs) So it just, it didn't feel like a great way to just like introduce like, you know, let's talk about Mm. Kurosawa because it made it just sort of feel like this guy was like a a failure as a, as a person or something. And then he was a failure as a director and it just, it was very, it felt uncharitable. He was a failure at everything. And I wrote a book about him <laughs> right? because he's not important and he failed at everything and no one should ever think about him again. <laughs> hate him so much. Let me tell you in 500 pages. I so mean, many words. I don't, I don't want to hate too much on Stephen Prince because he is definitely going to be mm. uh, quite a useful source for me. <laughs> with my thesis um but at the same time like i I don't know i feel like everybody wants to feel like they're like unique and really have like a hot take to add to like a discussion of a popular director and oftentimes that ends up being like i don't even a guy i don't even think it was that good (laughs) (laughs) and it just i don't know that feels pointless to me like i want to talk about what somebody did and what somebody's intentions were more so than i want to talk about how much i personally like it um, mm. but then again, here we are on this podcast, a place where there's an extent to which we learn things, but a lot to which, uh, of which we just rant about things. Yeah, um, yeah. so I don't like know. Right we'll now. see how this one goes. Yeah. <laughs> like, right, like right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Well, uh, yeah, let's, let's dive into to the seventh seal. Let's go. The seventh seal. I feel like I should start this episode by reading that passage from Revelation that they read at the beginning and the end of yeah. the movie is like, mm-hmm. and there was silence in heaven. Maybe we need to start with a moment of silence. Um, not for half an hour. Not really, yeah. except that I will pause while I open up my notes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's okay. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess I am legally obligated to give some history about this because I don't know, that just seems like something that you have to do. That's, that's the um, way. So this 
I guess the inspiration for this movie obviously came from the book of Revelation that's like immediately apparent like I was talking to a friend and I was like oh I'm gonna watch this movie called the seventh seal and they're like oh like revelation so lots of revelation imagery um and they talk about it throughout the book and especially when people are like it's the end times like things are being destroyed and there's fires and like women giving birth to calves heads like that's just happened that's all in revelation um I think pretty sure um so obviously the book of revelation is pretty inspirational and also I miss that they, part. He just mentions it as like a rumor. He's like, oh, oh I heard that that happened. Like in oh, yeah. You don't actually somewhere. see that. That right. would be horrifying. Yeah. Oh, it would be awesome. At first, though. I was going to say NIMBY, and then I thought about it, and I'm like, YIMBY? <laughs> I don't know. What? <laughs> <laughs> yes, in my backyard. This is what's happening. This is the way of the world. Okay. Anyway, it's sorry. a fun time. Praxis. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Something. It, it, had, it made sense in my head. I don't, don't know. Like <laughs> I See, I think it's really interesting the amount of religious symbolism in this film because I see the film as essentially agnostic and it's yes. more of a humanist oh, yes. piece. Yeah, yes. Yeah. No, you literally like hit the nail on the head. Like that is like Bergman's entire career. So, okay. So hmm. I'm the biggest Bergman fan in this group. Apparently that's my new title, <laughs> but partly because one of my dear friends, shout out to Tim is a huge Bergman fan and I watched this movie for the first time with him. We did a movie club. And so he loves Bergman. And part of Bergman's whole career was that he was raised in a really strict Lutheran home. Um, So that's kind of his background is like really strict Lutheranism. And so my friend Tim was also raised Lutheran. And he was like, yeah, I relate to Bergman a lot because I was also raised Lutheran. And part of Lutheranism is this like, like really strict, um, like religious, very Bible based form of Christianity that doesn't have a lot of like mysticism or mystery. That was kind of the main Mm. thing that Tim was pointing out. And Mm. so part of Bergman's entire career is exploring the idea that if you try to define something too much, it almost loses its majesty and like bigness. So like, as Mm. like, if you try to define God too much, then God loses its in his incomprehensibility. So Mm. that's kind of what Bergman is wrestling with. And also like, I mean, in the movie, um, what they say, oh, I can't remember who says it, but no man can live with death knowing that everything is meaningless. Mm-hmm. In our fear, we make an idol and call it God. Um, anyway, so just the whole like idea of agnosticism is something that Bergman explores through his entire career and never like answered the question. Like People would interview him at the end of his life, and they're like, did you ever decide like did you ever figure it out like is there a god is it like the christian god and he was like you know what we should just be nice to people and like the interviews are like no really like who is god and they're like he's like you know we should just like be kind to people because that's where like you can find god is like in kindness to each other so isn't that the point though where like the purpose of dealing with big theological and philosophical issues is not to find an answer but to struggle in attempting to like define an answer it's you're arguing over things that are fundamentally unknowable and so you can hmm. like get greater or lesser amounts of evidence but working through those ideas is like where the value comes in that that's one thing that I really appreciate about this because 
I watched the film and I felt like I was missing something. So I went back last night and I watched it with the, with a commentary that was on Criterion Channel by a very, very pretentious Englishman and nice. realized that the film doesn't like, it's not that you're missing something. It's that the film isn't saying something in particular. It's ruminating. It's thinking mm-hmm. about these things yeah. mm-hmm. and it brings up a bunch of different points that you have to think about and be like yeah how do i feel about that like uh, it, it kind of explicitly has that where it's just like he's like having those questions and just wondering about god and death and all this stuff throughout the whole movie and then yeah death himself just at the end saying there are no answers like sorry <laughs> yeah what well, we we'd never see any other supernatural forces or elements other yeah. than the figure of death mm-hmm. death is inevitable but we have no idea what what else is beyond it mm-hmm. you know that was literally one of the things that tim and i talked about was the fact that like it's not satan that this guy is talking with it's not like mm-hmm. some sort of demon or something it's just death and so one of the key questions that we kind of asked, and this is also part of existentialism, but it's like, is the enemy Satan or is the enemy purposelessness or emptiness? Hmm. And kind of exploring that idea of like, why is it death that he's talking to and not Satan? Well, and I think there's also a big thing theme in the film about evil done due to religious thought or religious... Mm ignorance Mm -hmm. i'm specifically thinking of the scene with the young girl who's about to be burned for witchcraft and she has been like everyone else is telling her that she like did the nasty with satan and that's why the black plague is a thing and you need to burn and she believes it and she talks to the knight and she's like look into my eyes and you shall see the devil do you see the devil and he's like no i just see a very scared little girl yeah Mm -hmm. But there's that uncertainty there because she's like, is he behind you? And then immediately he turns around in just utter terror to see nothing behind him. Because even though he, he knows that she isn't possessed, that she's just a little girl, he can't entirely be sure. You can't entirely be sure that felt, it's wrong. I felt like that was almost like he was wanting it to be real like he's just like there has to like even if it's the devil like come on right well that would yeah. justify it otherwise it's yes. just a bunch of people <laughs> burning a teenage yeah, girl too, yeah. which yeah it kind of does make it feel like ultimately that yeah like you were saying kind of the enemy is the the meaninglessness more mm-hmm. so than like there being an enemy like give me an enemy right <laughs> yeah <laughs> having something yeah solid to, yeah. to think about yeah, I mean, I think well, it's especially interesting in the context of somebody who's like a knight coming back from the Crusades, like it, to just the plague. Like, I don't, I don't know. It's just, it's such mm-hmm. an interesting way to, to set that because like, man, if there's ever something that like, at least from the small amount of study that I've done feels more pointless, being in the Crusades feels just so like soul crushing and pointless and like a waste of time. And then to come back to that and also be like, oh, okay, and everybody's dying to... Um, and that this is just how it is. Like, I, I wish that anything that I had been doing had been something that was, that was worth something or really mm-hmm. felt like it was accomplishing anything. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I just, it's a good, it's a good setting for it. You're going to say something, Anna, and then you stopped <laughs> I, yourself. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just going to quote what, uh, bloke, 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 the bloke. Block. 
Block. Block. And Tony's Block, I think his name is. Yes. Um, he says when when the girl is burning, and he's talking with his squire. He says, "Who is watching over that child? God, angels, Satan, emptiness. Look at her eyes. She has just realized it. Emptiness." shivers yeah. fun stuff uncomfortable well, there's that whole theme like with the um i i guess the equivalent of a jump of the cockatoo in citizen kane in this film mm-hmm. is when at the very beginning when they stop by to try and talk to that monk and they he picks up his face and it's like a rotted out skull uh, yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah and just Oh, what what did he have to say? Oh, <laughs> nothing much. Oh, so was he deaf? Oh, he's very eloquent. Yeah, <laughs> but what he had to say was like depressing. Or yeah, I don't, yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. Also, like, why did they just leave the dog? I'm sorry. Yeah. Like, I know that's I know. a bit of a detour, <laughs> but like, it made me sad because <laughs> the dog looked very cute, and it was just gonna sit there for all of eternity. Mm. Sad. Waiting for his master, like Hachiko. Did you guys ever watch that movie? What's that? Oh my gosh, no. it's a movie. Oh, it's a Japanese movie about this dog. <laughs> I, I don't know like, more about What else I, happens? I think I've seen about a, the one that's not Japanese. I is it a like sad a, movie? Oh, there's... Oh, Hachi. you're right. Is it one there's of those ones multiple. where the dog dies? Or are you think? No. Oh, is it no. the story about the dog that um, goes back to the train station yes. every yeah. day? It's, it's not Japanese. One. I lied. Oh, it's okay. not Japanese. But the dog yeah. goes back to the train station every day, but his master dies. And it's mm. just like the most sad dog movie ever in the whole world. I, are there any um, happy dog movies? <laughs> Can no. I get one, please? Uh, the Art of Racing in the Rain. We had a supervisor at work who that was the movie <laughs> yes. he was looking forward to most in the world. Uh-huh. Uh, and then he's like, just watch the trailer. And then it was a dog movie. Was and I was very confused. Yep. Yeah. But I heard like, ah, oh, but like the book, like it's it's one of the best books that I've ever read in my life. So who knows? You know, I've never read it. a dog book, really. I, mm-hmm. I think I skipped over that that part. Like never a horse girl, you know, never, mm-hmm. <laughs> never reading <laughs> dog books. I, I didn't do any of it. I'm a um, cat person. Fair. So when dogs wow. die in movies, I smile a little inside. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no! Wow. Oh, no! <laughs> That's like within earshot of a dog. How it's how true. dare you? Yeah. I, if the dog understands human language, it already knows to be wary around me. So it's fine. I mean, I guess that's wow. All right, cool. all right. We'll just. I didn't mean we'll to make it dark. On. It was a misconceived joke. <laughs> I am sorry. You have nothing to apologize yeah. for. You're just <laughs> sad. Well, you know, I. Uh, I'll make sure when we hang out, we hang out at your house now instead of next to my my cute, precious little Sophie dog. I do have kittens at the moment. That's true. Take me there. Okay. One yeah, of them has a has house. an eye tumor, and so we named oh. them all after, um, like, Avatar: The Last Airbender characters. <laughs> and we were trying to name him Zuko, but apparently oh. there was another litter that had a Zuko in it because they're all named after characters from Greece. What? What? Wow. Yeah, okay. I don't. Who likes Greece? It confu- <laughs> It blows my mind. I, nostalgia, I guess. People, people like. Wait, Greece. so why can't they both be named Zuko though? Why can't there be a Zuko from Greece and a Zuko from Avatar? I don't know. I guess it's like cat mom dibs. That's that's the thing. Okay. Hmm. So what did you end up naming it? Oh, what well, Hisaka. Okay. 
that's nice. Yeah, yeah. Cute. I would name a cat Sokka. Yeah. Okay, but I I would rather like if I got a bunch of cats, I would name them after like the animals. Like I would have like Appa and Momo mm, and like true. We do have an Appa Nala. and a Momo. Uh, right. we had five. See, see, but what about what about our plan to name all of your cats after the frog in uh Over the Garden Wall? Oh yeah. <laughs> that's actually I forgot about that, but that's way better. That's so good. Jason oh. Thunderbreaker, George Washington, Mr. President. Mr. President. <laughs> yeah. They're all really good. Uh, Wirt, I guess, because that, is that one bit where he just decides, to, I'll just call Kitty? you. Yeah. Kitty. <laughs> that actually works out. Oh, man. Yeah, Kitty actually works too well. Yeah. Yeah. That's Speaking of good. animals, I in the weird commentary I watched last night, the commentator was obsessed with drawing parallels between the wagon that the theater troupe uh, stay in throughout the entirety of the seventh seal Mm -hmm. and noah's ark i don't see it do you see it i feel like with the reading of the i feel like with the last scene in the movie it kind of makes sense right because like the because like you it's it's kind of just the three of them in there they are whistle across the safety although okay one thing that was brought up that i what's the take here why when they see death and the figures on the hill afterwards, does it not have the knight's wife or the um, the person formed into servitude? Anna! You have I to- actually <laughs> have an answer to that question. Uh, I raised my hand. Uh, <laughs> um, no, so that scene actually... So, Bergman, this is back to the, the fun facts of history that mm. I am uh-huh. legally yes, obliged yes, to uh, provide. Mm-hmm. He was given 35 days and $150,000 to make this movie. Mm. That was it. Um, mm-hmm. And so all of the scenes were shot like right around the studio, except for the two by the beach. So like right at the beginning and right at the end. Um, but the dance of death, which is when they're dancing mm-hmm. on that hill and there's that dark cloud, basically almost the entire casting crew had gone home for the day. And then Bergman was like, holy crap, look at that amazing cloud. we got to film it right now. And so he just like pulled a bunch of random people from the studio and was like, put on this hat go over there and like do this scene (laughs) so that's kind of like what it is he's just like i need just just go and that's why there's not sound recorded either because he just like had this like one janky camera still set up and so he's like quick the cloud go (laughs) yeah well and in the commentary uh the commentator had talked and interviewed bergman in the Mm 70s um not the 70s, like 60s, 70s. Uh, and he described it as just, he was surprised that it blew up because it was just like a film he made with some of his friends over the summer. That's kind of how, yeah. how he described it. And so in Sweden, they only have a limited part of the year where daylight is bright enough to actually like make films. Hmm. Yes. Yeah. So almost all Swedish films are shot during this certain period of the year. And... Because of that, most of the movies wind up coming out around Christmas time because of the post-production process. It takes about the same time, and so a bunch of the like movies made in Sweden wind up coming out around that time. Hmm. And so you have like <laughs> it, it's I my brain turned off. I'm sorry. <laughs> in the middle of a sentence, my brain turned off. I'm left with. <laughs> Nothing. We were enraptured. I looked us. into the emptiness, oh. like like the burning child. 
Ah, no. there's nothing no. there. There oh, is no, no salvation for a man. <laughs> Only death. <laughs> death is standing under that the is... tree with a hacksaw. Oh no. I have no choice. That's so funny. Yeah, that big that bit was really interesting cuz the problem okay, I'm going to I'm going to own up to something. I found this movie incredibly interesting and I think it's going to like change my life or something when I watch it a second or third time, but like today was so logistically challenging for me. I had like a, f- a phone call or two while watching the movie. Oh, and so there were parts of the movie where I was having difficulty listening to the person that I was talking to on the phone because I was too confused by what was going on in the movie and then oh, vice no. versa. And it made it very hard, but I did spend a lot of time focusing on and just puzzling over what the heck was happening with that guy getting with the, with the tree getting chopped down and, it, you explained it to me in yeah. the car, and it made sense. It's but. not that complicated. Yeah, it's just it's not that complicated. Dude dies. Yeah, but it was a very interesting, like, visual way to show that. I don't. It I was don't a funny cool. exchange too. Yeah, this movie's funny. <laughs> it, it is. is. I liked the jokes that I heard. It's yeah, it's genuinely hilarious, and I think one of the things about that specific scene and just kind of like the movie overall is like, um. I can't, I can't remember if this is a quote or just like something that we were talking about. Um, Cause I was talking with some friends about this after I watched it, but it was like, most people don't even think about death until they're dying until they're face to face with it. And then they're like this guy, the circus theater troupe guy when mm-hmm. he was dying, he's like, please don't kill me. Like I have a wife and family. Like, yeah, what do you right. want? Like, <laughs> Oh, I, I do feel bad. I, I do feel guilty about all of the sleeping <laughs> around that I've been doing. And like death is like, yeah, whatever, dude you're you're done but just it makes me wonder why death was obliging to the the knight's request to play chess and it makes me just wonder about like if you spend 10 years face to face with death and like thinking about your own mortality and thinking about what does it mean to be a finite human i almost wonder if that puts you in a better place to die like you shouldn't just like I don't I don't think that you should spend your whole life trying to run away from death. If that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, well and I think the feeling that I kind of got from the film is not that like because death is inevitable, you can't actually beat it. The re- like the reason that death like agrees to do the chess game is because A, he knows he'll win, and B, he he's portrayed as a pretty like a sort of playful character. He's morose, mm-hmm. but he likes to play with his food. And and so the, he's able to like toy with the knight as, as he's going through all this. And so when the the point of having that extra time is not to like try and figure out how to beat death, but to kind of figure out ways to live with the fact that you're going to die and enjoy life anyways mm-hmm. yeah that like cause a... he says that at the end right doesn't when when death is talking to him near the end of the movie right he's like did you enjoy your i don't remember what the exact phrasing was but like did you enjoy your your respite from death mm-hmm. um and i and i think that is incredibly interesting like i i i, I think people who i've like authors that I really respect and, and just people who seem to really think like that's something I think that I can find in a lot of them is just kind of continual meditation on 
age and death mm-hmm. and those sorts of things. And even when those are not their like more popular works, um, to me, they, they end up kind of being the thing that like I end up holding on to the most of like seeing this person as somebody truly worth emulating and respecting. Um, and I, I, I guess, I guess it makes sense in the, in the, looking at it in the context of this film, but like, for example, Ursula K. Le Guin wrote just a massive amount of like, you know, reflection on being as old as I am now, all of the sudden, <laughs> like, uh, I'm, I'm going to die soon. This is just how it is. Um, Kurosawa obviously did the same thing with his, his final movie. And honestly, just the last few movies that he did from dreams to Medadio, just about this, this kind of like showing the progression of a life and showing just sort of this extended period past, even when I thought I would live to as being this like kind of incredible gift instead of just, Oh no, it's still coming up. (laughs) Um, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. Hmm. It's fun. Uh, Apparently, a thing I got from the commentary, despite how useless the commentary was, I got a lot of useful things out yeah, of it. Yeah, you're, you're referencing it like every sentence. So <laughs> yeah. It was pretty useful. Well, it stuck in my head. He would say things like, usually when audiences see a church in a Bergman film, their heart fills with dread. But in this scene, and you're just like, okay, why are you saying this? But uh, <laughs> when they have their sort of uh, Passover feast, mm-hmm. like, sort of thing when they're sitting in the field and they're drinking the fresh milk and the it's wild... my favorite scene in the whole movie yeah. i love it so much it's a great <laughs> scene and uh so bergman's next film is called wild strawberries and apparently mm-hmm. strawberries wild strawberries are a thing in sweden like it's like i i don't know i we had wild strawberries in my backyard growing up and we'd eat them and they're good but apparently that's actually uh, more of a, a cultural like touch point hmm. in, in Sweden. Hmm. And I think, I don't know, this is just like part, part of my like personal history that like, and I don't, I don't know, just like strawberries are really kind of a key point in like my childhood and like who I am and like growing up. Uh, Cause my family, we always go strawberry picking every year and it like has turned into this like honestly kind of a holiday kind of hmm. thing i don't know it's strawberry day it's my favorite day of the year and we just like go and we strawberry pick and we bring like chocolate and like fancy cream and like cheese and bread and stuff and so just like hmm. the fact i don't know it just like struck a deep chord within me both times i've seen it just like the fact that like the pinnacle of joy and peace and contentment was as simple as like strawberries and milk and it's like the two most simple pleasures it's like something a little bit sweet something a little bit creamy and it's just like almost like the like seeking after happiness and having happiness be the goal of your life versus like seeking to be um a more like fulfilled Mm. honest person and this is something so i i'm a psychology major and we just like literally this week we've been talking about existential psychotherapy which is a real thing yeah um and it's super cool actually but you basically are just like (laughs) hey client uh you're gonna die we're all gonna die and like the fact of the human existence is that we can never have a truly intimate connection with another person because you can never fully know their consciousness Mm. so knowing these things let's talk about your life (laughs) and how to become a more fulfilled human being and like um authentic between your like inner self and your outer self 
And I think something that stands out to me in this movie is that like, I feel like Antonius Block is trying to become authentic. Um, and mm -hmm. that moment in the field with the strawberries is an authentic moment mm -hmm. of just joy, um, both inside and outside. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, it's, it's fascinating. Just like even viewing that from like the entirety of the way that the film goes, like you see him at the beginning and he's just uh, really depressed uh, mm -hmm. and dejected. Mm -hmm. And just, it, it begins on arguably a more somber note than like maybe any other point in the film for me. Yeah. Um, and there's just kind of a progressive, like you start to see him like wrestle with things and start thinking about things more, I don't know, honestly, and then you start to see him smile. You start to see him like mm -hmm. kind of enjoy things. Mm -hmm. And it's it's very interesting because it feels sort of counter to where you'd expect a narrative like this to go of somebody in a weird way. Like, you know, literally playing a game with with death, like se seems like something that would get more dark as it would go until coming to this final moment. Um, but instead, it's kind of the reverse, mm -hmm. which, again, I don't know how I like feel about it i don't know what my my takeaway from that is as far as the way that like i would live my life or something um but it's one of those ideas that i feel like is important to like note and wrestle with and 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 find something in um yeah i don't know i think it's it is nice just just like yeah he takes his extra time that he has that he's swindled himself into and uses it to help people and enjoy simple beautiful things and mm -hmm. That's pretty good. It's better than, you know, being in a crusade. Mm -hmm. mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's fascinating. It's again, I mean, it's it's a movie that has a lot to talk about, even though I don't really get it. Like, <laughs> like well, it, it the fact that we're able to have this conversation means that we do get it on some level. Yeah. Like we will never know the objective truth of either what like Bergen was intending or what the work actually means outside of him and what he was intending it to mean. But having conversations about art is what makes art meaningful. Mm -hmm. um, I actually, so yesterday, right before I rewatched the seventh seal, I watched a uh, one person show that was last month made available on Hulu called in and of itself, which is about identity and finding identity in the modern world and the core theme it is a fantastic show like if you have 90 minutes watch it it is uh the performer is technically a magician and he performs literally some of the greatest magic tricks i've ever seen but that's really like the b-side to the purpose of the show which is the idea of this uh, he tells a story about like the six men and the elephant, the six blind men and the elephant. You know, you know the story, right? Where each of them feel a different part of the elephant and they all think it's a different thing. And then when they all come together, they can put the pieces together and decide, actually, this is an elephant from all of the information. But when we are told what we are, when we are told like the knight is, throughout the whole thing, even though he's left the crusade, he's still dressed as a knight. He's still sort of serving the function of a knight, even though his war is over. It's, it's almost like he's a memory, like an afterthought, like a casualty of this war that is still living on. And when we're given that role, it's something is lost because mm 
if we're all blind men trying to figure out what the world is or figure out who each other are, if we just boil ourselves down to our titles, things like a soldier or like a fighter in the crusade or a, a, a Christian or someone who, who believes such and such a thing, it takes away some of the dimensionality, some of the magic of the possibility that we're something more. What if the elephant isn't an elephant? What if the elephant is a magical creature that we can only comprehend within a certain like level of our thinking about it? Hmm. That's, interesting. That's really interesting that you bring up that point about identity because one of the things I did take note of was that in the end when death comes to the castle um, and they all like stand and are like, wow, hi, sir. Um, they introduce themselves. So mm. like the wife says, I'm Corrine, I'm the knight's wife. Um, and the um, Smith is like, oh, I'm Pud Pudge. I can't remember his name. <laughs> something like that. Yeah. Something like that. It was a dumb name. Hi, <laughs> but he's Pudge. like, I'm the Smith. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I'm the Smith. I'm kind of mediocre, but I'm kind of good too. And this is my wife. And like, we just had a fight, but like, it's okay. Like you just had to keep a tight rein on her and like, she's fine. She doesn't even say anything. Um, but then the squire, who's actually a character that I kind of, I feel like it's almost more about him a little bit mm -hmm. because mm. he's, he says to this girl, which her whole plot line is weird. She literally yeah. has no lines or she has like one line in the entire movie. And he's like, I could have raped you, but I didn't. So come be my servant. Yeah. <laughs> but he says to her, Yikes. like, this is a time to reflect on your own indifference. In this final moment, feel the triumph of being alive. And I kind of feel like in some ways the squire is the one who's figured it out the most where he, he like spends the whole movie, like kind of being a jerk, but also like he helps a lot of people um mm -hmm. and I, I i don't know i just think his character is really interesting to me but the the concept of being like when you're face to face with death do you introduce yourself with your name and your job or do you spend the last moment being like wow i was alive like this is my hand this is my breath hmm. life and like i don't know just like how do you approach the thought that you are going to die almost yeah and with, I would argue that the person who's figured it out the most is not the squire, but the young woman, because mm -hmm. she's the one. She's the only one who is able to accept death, and she she like just gets down and she just mm -hmm. has that whole like Joan of Arc moment. She's yeah. like, "It is finished," yeah. and, and there's just a sublime look on her face but in the background we have the knight who we've been following the whole time yeah. just rubbing his face into his hands unwilling to even like look at what's happening mm -hmm. just unwilling to to accept his his final fate thank you for pointing that out because i the entire time i was watching it, i was struggling to be like what is it that this like is is evoking to me tonally like this is like mm. something else i've seen mm -hmm. it's definitely the passion of joan of arc definitely like the passion of joan of arc makes sense the face movie oh. all of the shots when <laughs> the like face. the the flagellators are coming through and yes. are being like repent you see the people's mm -hmm. faces joan of arc any movie that just has <laughs> a bunch of close-ups on people's faces is the passion of joan of arc fundamentally <laughs> it's so good but that final scene where she's looking up like that was just 
yeah bergman takes a bit from dreyer i guess Mm. and um i don't know if you've seen that one anna uh we did that one i think it was like the second or third maybe pretty early one of the earlier episodes we did um it's a good movie if you like looking at faces yes close-ups if you want the best performances you've ever seen in your life like it's a silent film but there's so much emotion that's expressed and also Mm. cinematography wise like yeah, I the love the cinematography. It's so great. Cinematography wise, cinematography. it's one of the the clearest, <laughs> cleanest. Like, I, I've I've never seen anything that looks like it even now, and it came out in twenty six, I think. Yeah. So you know, it's old. It's almost a hundred years old now. Did cinema peak in the nineteen twenties? I think that it, cinema peaked with that movie. I like. <laughs> I Case still feel be. like it's it had peaked, the most and we're going it. downhill from here. We're going to get to Parasite, and we're going to be like, we lost so much, <laughs> so much. <Yeah. laughs> great, this great movie. It's hard that to say it. about Parasite. <laughs> Yeah, we'll watch Parasite and we'll just be like, man, I wish I was watching a trip to the moon instead. What the heck is <laughs> no. garbage? Yeah, I, I'd like, go along with this joke, but I love South Korean cinema so much. It's like, so, yeah. oh. Oh. Uh, you're going to be a little annoyed, I think, when we get to some of our South Korean picks because uh, mm-hmm. uh, we're only covering, I think, three, and one of them is Old, bo- uh, old Boy. Oh. So. <laughs> Yeah, I'm the excited. one South Korean movie that everyone likes that I don't. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm 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 going to be sad through the entirety of when we reach the 2000s because the only good movies that were made from 2000 to like 2010 were not made in America. Well, that's why we're covering <laughs> like yeah yeah. I think I think we're doing that one, aren't mm-hmm. we? Yeah. I, I think um, it's in the mood for love. Um, yeah, we're we're doing a lot of we're covering the good shit, the good shit, which yeah, is just pull it up. all Southeast Asian cinema. <laughs> Get out of America, basically. I mean, yeah, that's the interesting thing is I think pretty much everything that we've covered so far. If we were, if I were ranking them, pretty much all the American stuff is at the bottom, and anything mm-hmm. that's not made in America has ended up being way closer to the top. Um, yeah, because yeah. people are just. Maybe part of it's that people are more experimental with smaller budgets. Well, there's probably a lot of few, uh, lot of different reasons for it's that. It's because capitalism. Because I was literally about to say, let's because... talk about capitalism and yeah. the way that it affects the film industry. Yeah. Okay, but yeah. the thing is, I would have said that before, except for with the like ungodly amount of reading I've done on Kurosawa, which leads me to believe that the reason why Kurosawa was the way that he was is very heavily because of a because of a very like rigid and very specific kind of um, like studio structure. Yeah, well, so great art can be con- uh, produced under restrictions and limitations, mm-hmm. and sometimes the greatest art is like made in response to the conditions in which it was made, like mm-hmm. pushing against its limitations. See, I I don't know how art is supposed to be defined, but the only definition I have in my mind is. Art is the friction that's created when the human imagination meets reality. Mm-hmm. And so you I like that a lot. <laughs> I know, it's sexy, it's right? I've been like <laughs> every Ooh. night like, how do I define ah. art? Okay. <laughs> but yeah, you have that thing where because a lot of American films, if they're if something's working, the primary objective of a studio system is to produce more things like the thing that made money and not to make new things that that can like change and adapt like 
Competition is supposed to breed innovation, but oftentimes it just breeds repetition. Yeah. No. Okay. That's an interesting point because that would be a, a significant difference for the way that um, kind of the Japanese studio structure worked. Is it wasn't as much, oh, make something like this. It was, this is our guy. This guy makes a movie and then he makes another movie and then he makes another mm-hmm. movie. And sometimes we try to fuck up his day and mm-hmm. make him change something or cut down the beautiful Dostoevsky and epic from oh, four hours sad. and 15 minutes to two hours and 40 minutes, which I will never get over Boo. in Ugh. ever. Um, sometimes they do that. But in general, it's, it's you know, I mean, we had Ozu, we had Narose, we had just a bunch of people in that era who were just making film after film as they wanted to. And they were enough to keep the industry going, mm. um, which I guess is, is a little different than the, the American model. Although you did have your, I don't know, your Howard Hawks's and your, I guess early on your Chaplin's and your yeah. Hitchcock's maybe. Like, I don't know. You can make great things in the studio system. We have like a Citizen Kane and uh, the Godfather here and there. And sometimes that happens, but it's not, it's like, it's fresh new things coming in, like new ideas just sudden, like it's innovation that winds up happening within that system and not like after like seven iterations, after the seventh Paranormal Activity movie, we get the greatest (laughs) horror movie ever made. We finally figured it out because we've refined it enough, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, but that actually leads me to an interesting question for you guys that I've been thinking about. Um, Like, does A24 actually like break out of that or is it just breeding a new repetitive genre? Well, I think that a lot of the praise that A24 winds up getting and the like reverence that it sees nowadays is due to kind of like a selection bias. Like Mm -hmm. they have picked up for distribution, like quite a few just great films that were released in the 2010s. And all of the bad films they picked up, no one remembers, were produced by A24. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> and yeah. so you wind up, you you can still get some stuff that's good, but I think that as time goes on, we're going to see a lot more of the body of A24 be the fluff that nobody likes and right. a lot less of it be like your Vaviches or Hereditaries. Or the like. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I appreciate it. Yeah. No, that, that's interesting. Yeah, because I, I, I don't know. I felt like a lot of those movies end up being kind of samey. Like like what we consider the like the 2010s, like masterful indie whatever thing is all kind of getting more and more samey. Yeah. Although now that I think about it, I feel like uh, The Green Knight, is going to be not only is it going to be really good but it probably is going to bring up some interesting comparisons Please. to this film yeah Please. that would be super cool because the green knight like the book itself <sighs> has a lot of that it's true yeah stuff in it yeah. Uh, we read it this semester in my english class and mm-hmm. i watched a film production that was not good Yikes. so i'm really holding out for, yeah that's that's my review on letterboxd follow me on letterboxd uh <laughs> Yikes. I guess we could probably Period. tag our letterbox handles somewhere. Put oh, that on the website. No. Yeah. Well, then everyone's going to lose respect for me because they'll realize that while I'm talking about big important films, I've watched nothing but like 
the 2000s master of horror anthology series for like the last week <laughs> i talk a big talk i watch trash <laughs> yeah but like that's fun that's okay and they will discover that at, at this point i basically only watch things for this podcast or when they're assigned to me in my shakespeare class me too. yeah yeah that's 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 what it's gonna be for me they're also gonna find out that i rated uh eight and a half three stars so True. i think that's my biggest yeah. dirty secret when it comes to film Okay, well, you either get a redemption arc in a few weeks or True. you get to, like, continue being the heel. <laughs> so I guess we'll see how it goes. We'll see. I'm I'm excited to watch it again at this point in my life. And, like, I don't know. I have, I have no reference. I have no point of reference for eight and a half. Like, the closest thing I've seen to it is, I guess, what was it? Rome Open City. That's about as close as I've gotten because he called uh, that. That's not Which I don't think has anything to do with it. No. That. So it's surrealism baby heck yeah no spoilers i'm excited it, you don't spoil that movie you it's just true. Ha- <laughs> you, you can't spoil it it's like so visual metaphor girl in a white dress and she like is there sometimes but she's not there all the time and that's like the entire and it's probably a metaphor but it's not necessarily one okay i don't understand why um my friends uh you know i've I've, i think i've ranted about this this person on the podcast her uh my my friend has this film professor who just has this very very like limited (laughs) and stupid view of films oh she's devised the perfect formula you need to craft every good film and if it doesn't fit the formula it's a bad film which is why she thinks that parasite sucks but Um, the perfect movie the perfect movie is David Lynch's The Straight Story. You know, the one nobody remembers? <laughs> what? That's that's her opinion. Yeah, she Weird. made them watch that. She made them watch Eight and a Half. She's like very into a very specific structure. And I don't understand how she can have any appreciation for realism it, or, or, I mean, or surrealism. It, it feels like the sort of thing where she um, devised this structure of what makes a good movie for now for, for for how I consider a modern film good, and then mm. any film film that's old and generally well received just kind of gets a pass. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, very very intriguing stuff. Uh, very excited mm. to. It's I don't wh- know. I it almost makes me want to rip into eight and a half when we get there. Just you, <laughs> know. you can hate it. It's gotten enough love in its time. It can take it. That's probably Ooh, true. Say that. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, no, and and I I I did enjoy. I did like the movie, and there's a lot of things to think about. And like, I honestly like. I think about eight and a half all the time. There's one specific quote that I'm just like, lives rent free in my brain. Hmm. But um, well, the quote is, "We're surrounded by words and thoughts and images that have no right to exist." Oh and, yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, so spicy that's quote. Just, I mean, like literally I think about that every day, especially when I'm like I'm like I don't know, I'm like writing an essay that I don't care about or I'm like trying to write a poem and I'm just like we're surrounded by thoughts that have no right to exist. Um anyway, there's a lot to eight and a half, but there's also a lot that I just like I'm like, this is not good. Anyway, we're not talking about eight and a half right now. <laughs> well <laughs> no. about. I, I think one of the cool things about going through all of these classic movies like we are is the fact that not every great movie has to mean the world to everyone. Mm-hmm. Like movies kind of changed the landscape of cinema, could have like affected the world as we know it and how we see the world and we can watch them and we can say, yeah, they were fine. Even though right. <laughs> I talked a lot about the seventh seal in this, I don't love Bergman. I was going to say like why you said at the beginning that you don't like this movie 
what what about it that letterbox irks you. oh i didn't <laughs> even read it uh, no so i ironically posted on letterbox that objectively it's the worst movie ever made because i hate the word objectively and using it incorrectly makes me happy so it's it's a really good movie it it's really well crafted i love specific moments from it but it is not the type of cinema that is personally meaningful to me. That's so, valid. Yeah. Like, I, I'm i being hyperbolic to make a point, <laughs> but I, I like this movie. I didn't love it because I love weird, surreal shit. That's, my, that's what I do. That's fun. I, mm-hmm. And I can really appreciate stuff like this, but I can also say that I wish it was shot differently in certain places. Mm. Uh, I would have liked it more if it were weirder. Yeah, I kind of, I don't know why in my head Bergman has always like been, I always assumed, because this is my first time watching Bergman, Mm -hmm. I always assumed his like visual style would be more like vaguely like Tarkovsky-esque or something like that, and it's not. Yeah, well, so so. he's not like a visual stylist. He's really good Mm -hmm. at like staging scenes, like Mm -hmm. composing uh, like groups where you can see a lot of the shots where they're like large groups of people in here. He does some really interesting things with that. Yeah. And he he reads as a stage director. Uh, Which is from, yeah. his background. Yeah. Interesting. And that's how, like, one of the other fun facts that I was legally required to find out was that some of the inspiration <laughs> for this movie came from a play that he had written and performed at a summer festival with like most of the cast. Interesting. So, like most of the cast are his buddies from acting school, and he's like, "Hey guys, you want to be in my movie?" And they're like, "Yeah, Bergman, we love you." So yeah. that's that. That is so unexpected. I don't like this movie. Just seems like, I mean, maybe it's just been built up in my head as well. But it seems like it's you know, it's it's it has such lofty goals, and it you know mm-hmm. has meant so much to so many people. It's very interesting that that's how it came about. Half a century of critical analysis will do that to you. (laughs) Well, and also there's a lot of like almost lines that are thrown away that I'm like, whoa, Mm -hmm. you just said that. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe you were looking down at the parts that were like the most impactful (laughs) moments. I was looking at it the whole time. (laughs) Yeah, okay, okay. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, right. Also, I don't know if this happened to you guys, but the platform that I was watching on the sound progressively got like a minute off. Hmm. What were you watching it on? HBO Max. Oh, don't watch cri- it. On- it's on oh. Max. Okay. That's where I watched it's it. It's on Max. It but on the, the Criterion channel. channel wouldn't let me watch it when it was connected to my TV because I don't know why. Oh, that's weird. weird. Hmm. Oh, sometimes. Okay. Sometimes it does that, but it doesn't always do that. Yeah. You have to like fiddle with it. I, I watched it on HBO just on my laptop and I, I think it was okay. No, the first. Okay. The first time I tried to watch it, I watched the half of it and I watched it on HBO Max and they did something to it. Like it, it's hmm. a new restoration that they used and it does not look as good. Hmm. Okay. So, okay. I can't, I might go back and watch it on the Criterion channel also because of the sound, like it literally, it was to the point where like if someone was having a conversation, like for example, if two men were having a conversation, I couldn't tell who uh, was like, which line belonged wow. to which person that was speaking in the oh, conversation so it's, bad that's a weird wow. yeah okay in general what i would say is like there's some there's some tier rankings i guess for streaming <laughs> services but if you want the best quality 
uh, and it's on Criterion Channel. Definitely watch on there, not only for that reason, but also because it has like a bundle of other things with it. Like there's a documentary mm-hmm. on Bergman's Island, mm-hmm. on the Bergman Island documentary, which I've seen bits of, and it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, there's literally a video of him sitting down and just talking about this movie. There are videos of critics talking about the movie. There's a commentary. There's all this stuff usually packaged in. So that's that's where I've enjoyed most of the movies we've talked about on this podcast because it's it's just better. Uh, however, I would say, um, pa- just just also so you know, P- Passion of Joan of Arc is is on there as well, and yeah. uh, it's good. And it's also very short. Mm-hmm. Well, so. I, I mean, it's 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 shorter. Isn't it like seventy minutes or something? It's pretty short. Yeah. 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 That's that's only so I've had three people tell me that this movie is long. This movie is not long. It's it, not long. It's not Very long. Short. The joke I made uh in passing was that it's only like six minutes longer than Toy Story Two, <laughs> which is the most annoyingly perfectly paced movie. Like it's the most economic movie I've ever seen and I hate it. <laughs> that movie was I think probably my favorite movie as a kid. That was the one I, I watched like, it I a lot. Got really into. Too. I liked it. Especially everything. just because of like the the bit in the like uh airport with all the uh like luggages moving. I love that, like that part. Because mm-hmm. I had also like never flown on an airplane, so I was like, oh, wow. Interesting. <laughs> the reason too. why I liked it is because I flew a lot as a kid. I don't know why actually. I have no idea why. I guess that's just always been maybe that's always been part of my life. I don't know. But I always, you know, you, I would see them, you know, they put the luggage on the thing and then it like wheels and goes back behind those like rubber things into the back. And I like was always desperate to know what's going on back <laughs> there. And there were several times that I considered hiding in a luggage. Um, <gasps> That'd be so cool. Yeah. Or like sitting in one of those little boxes. You can just sit in yeah. a little box. Yeah, it would be cool. Well, Didn't yeah. Didn't work out. I loved that movie as a kid. I rewatched it because I heard a podcast that said, oh yeah, it's still great. Coming back to it, the movie moves so fast, it doesn't feel like it breathes to me. Mm. It feels like it's hyperventilating, like plot, it's always moving. There like isn't stillness until that one scene where like, the guy does the ASMR cleaning yes, of Woody. Okay, that's what I was going to say. You have to best. get some rest. Oh, it's from that, great, but... but just look up that scene on YouTube. Like, it's so good. You don't... <laughs> Oh, it's the best scene in all of film. Maybe we should, <laughs> maybe we should replace. Maybe we should rework this list yeah. uh, for for a new format. <laughs> yeah, make sure we get that one Potential in there. Because instead, we we're gonna cover up, which like I mean, yeah. up is like up? good, but like we could watch the like ASMR sequence of Toy yeah. Story two, or we could watch up and cry about the perfectness of their relationship and okay. hope that someday we can marry someone as beautiful as that. Maybe we should just cut together all of the like two to five minute segments from Pixar movies that make everybody feel the emotions <laughs> yeah. and then just get all of them. Toy yeah. Story 2's is the restoration scene. Yeah. And Ratatouille's <laughs> Is that bit where she's holding up the bread and she's like, yeah, the, the crunch and yeah. It, it oh. can, instead of up, it can just be the Pixar super episode. Yeah, we'll just do that. Yeah, <laughs> and or then we can Monsters just watch Inc. all of the Pixar just the shorts. Opening credits. That too. That's true. Yeah, those are fun. But the opening credits in Monsters Inc. It's the music like, is so good. Mm, if we actually, with the doors, so the animation oh. is gorgeous. <laughs> yeah. Oh. I played that song for a recital. Oh, I learned wait. it and I played it like. I forgot that perfectly. sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, and then I can get on my soapbox about how Pixar killed animation by making great movies. Damn them. I want to hear that. I feel that. I want to hear that so bad. Yeah, wait another half century and we'll get there. Yeah, and, <laughs> it'll when be we're a year. still podcasting. 
Yeah, well, hopefully at that point, I'll have watched Soul again and be able to actually (laughs) talk about it it. without feeling guilty. Okay, I was going to talk about Soul a little bit because I feel like it's another sort of existentialist, nihilist movie, Mm. but like not as good. I mean, obviously (laughs) it's a children's movie, but I feel like you could say that they're telling a similar story. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sort of. I, don't yeah, know. I, I didn't really are. like Soul. I felt like like both of those stories are about people grasping for something because it can't mm-hmm. just be emptiness because what's the point of being a human if it's just emptiness on the other side? Yeah. Um, but I like the conclusion. Like, I don't know. I feel like I can say I like the conclusion of Seventh Seal better even though I wouldn't be able to tell you with words what the conclusion of Seventh Seal mm-hmm. is but I like it better than what soul concluded with. Even I, feel though I feel enriched. Like they tell the same story. I feel enriched by that ending. And then yeah. with soul, I just felt like everybody else said they cried at a point. I, I, for the life of me, don't know what point it was. Yeah. And I, I didn't feel like there was a conclusion outside of like, Hey, pretty, pretty cool. Right. Hmm. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I guess pizza's good. I, I think if it had committed to the bit like this movie does mm-hmm. of like the inevitability of death, yeah. And Which like, you can't do for a children's movie. Right. Or you could try. But... Well, no, but you can come to a point where it's acceptance instead of acceptance mm. and then, oh, wait, we give you an, a one-up like in Scott Pilgrim and you can <laughs> you can more, you can more and you can enjoy life. And you're like, okay, that's yeah. supposed to be uplifting. Scott earned the power of self-respect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you earned the power of jazz. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's actually probably my biggest soapbox if we're, we are going to complain about Soul. <laughs> there's not enough jazz in that movie. There's Sad. so much. Honestly. There's not enough jazz. The bits that they have, they have literally, they literally yeah. have John Baptiste playing it, and it's incredible. It's the bits great that are there jazz. are really freaking good. Not that and I there's know. like three minutes of it, and everything else is, um what, what's the name of the Resners? Yeah, uh, Resner and uh, Ross? Yeah, it's Resner Pixar Ross music, which is weird. Doing essentially what they do for... What's his name? They're I, like, why do I always forget his name? They they like thumpy music. Yeah, and they that's did like Gone Girl, thing. didn't they? Fincher. Uh, yeah, so they do Fincher movies. That's yes. right. Yes. 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 I don't know why they're the ones that did the score. It should like, have been all Batiste. I uh, I just heard them do like the Watchmen score for the oh, show, okay. and like it's so like drum and bass and electronic and like mm. it's thumpy music it, and like it's cool it's but good, it does not but it i would never put them why in a movie is this like in soul, soul? <laughs> a movie about sense. jazz yeah. okay there, there's a few different things you could say one like okay a movie with an african-american male lead where for the majority of the movie he's not in an african-american male's body mm-hmm. Yeah, is, is a little bit weird. But who is in his body? It's Tina Fey. Right. That's not problematic at all. It's, I, it's it, oh. yeah. I, I think that's I think that's Thanks. weird. I also mm. think yeah, it, it being a jazz movie and not having that much jazz in it is also weird. But it's fine. We don't yeah. need to keep talking about Soul because we can all agree we've gotten a lot out of Seventh Seal, and so yeah. we don't even mm-hmm. really need Soul. And Soul is a movie <laughs> yeah. that now we can all say is for people who haven't watched the Seventh Seal. <laughs> Wow, well, it's I'm like the Seventh opposite. Seal, but <laughs> for less intellectual people. Oh. Children. Yeah. For ch- children. children. <laughs> <laughs> Most of the people I know nice. who, who love that movie are self-proclaimed adults. Nice. Like it, oh, I think the, if someone can get something out of it and get like get some like fulfillment out of it, especially after what 2020 did to a lot of people, yeah. like mentally yeah. and physically, 
that's great. You're right. We aren't yeah. those people. Nothing against anybody <laughs> who enjoyed Soul. I'm glad that you got something out of it. I wish I could also get something out of it. And maybe one day I will at the moment. Uh, I'm going to I'm gonna stick. I guess I'm going to stick with Bergman. You know, I'm going to say it now. Um, I'm the least qualified person to say this, uh, but I like Bergman. <laughs> Whoa. Wow. So good. Thanks, guys. Thank yeah. I really, I feel the, I feel the support. I, I really yeah. don't. I, I feel it from you, Anna. I support you in all things. Thanks. <laughs> I'm, I'm just a bit resentful that my Swedish lineage can be traced back to one famous director, but not a director who made like David Cronenberg movies. I wish I was from Canada. That would have made me so much happier. Yeah. I, I found, okay, that's something that was really interesting because Swedish and Norwegian are very similar and I've been learning a lot of Norwegian mm. lately. And so there were different points in the movie where I was like, I know what they're saying. Yeah, nice. Even wow. though I haven't learned any Swedish, it's very That's weird. Cool. Mm-hmm. Makes sense, yeah, it's good. There was there was like one line in there that I was like, I actually think I didn't, I I didn't I didn't need the subtitles on that. And nice. I've only spent like a small amount of time on Duolingo, but you know it did it for me. I <laughs> yeah. guess. Seemed like you were going pretty hard there for a little while. I was. was a while back. I'm, I'm doing. I feel like I'm doing well with it. I nice. like the pronunciation. I like the way that they pronounce things. Yeah. Um, driving people nuts with it. It's pretty good. <laughs> Yeah, um, it's a good accent. I don't think. don't go all you know. Um, the chef from the Muppets on us. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love that man. That's great. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's all. That's all I'm gonna say. Nice. Yeah. Whoa. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, can I read the the most important quote from this movie? Hmm? Yeah. Real quick. You should save it for the um, end. No, that's your. That's your the stick. most important quote. Uh, I could have raped you, but I didn't. Uh, no, <laughs> it's great, but no. Oh, it's, that you know, that's it's, it's an iconic quote, quote, of course, but um, but no, um, I like this one that he says near the beginning of the movie. It really struck me. Um, let's see, uh, how can we believe in the faithful when we lack faith? What will happen to us who want to believe but cannot? What about those who neither want to nor can believe? Why can't I kill God in me? Why does he live on in me in a humiliating way, despite my wanting to evict him from my heart? Why is he, despite all, a mocking reality I can't be rid of? Um, that's a very interesting sentiment that, like, to be honest... It just honest, like, a moment of silence to process that. Yeah. Like, yeah. Why is he, despite all, a mocking reality I can't be rid of? That's, that's, that's a good bit. In the same movie where, like, two random people just decide to hook up in a bush and it drives the majority of the narrative for, like, the center mm-hmm. of the film. This bonkers. I did kind of want to say, that's one of my, like, big takeaways about this movie is that, like, there's enough bits of just, like, succinct depth that, mm. like, he's able to kind of get across enough to drive our conversations about the sort of existential topics for this whole episode, basically. Mm-hmm. But, like, I feel like those bits are kind of few and far between. They're just kind of like quick, heavy lines. And then the rest of the movie is, as I, as I said in my review, it feels kind of just like a chill hangout movie. And it's kind of just, it's very watchable, I guess. Like it has solid fun characters. The writing is enjoyable. It's got jokes. Like it's not hard to watch like some movies that maybe we've covered could be considered. Mm. Not a lot of them. (laughs) Don't, don't, don't yell at me. Um, I'm just saying it just, it feels like I could sit down with just like random people 
with this movie and just be like, look, this movie's fun. And it would be. It isn't Tokyo Story. Yeah. yeah. You don't go around recommending Children of the Paradise to everyone? <laughs> oh, man, I would. I, mean, I, I don't know why I still like oh, that movie. It's an all right movie. Everyone else thinks it's fine. <laughs> but it's you. our least popular episode oh, by far. I would never guess why. <laughs> Some long, melodramatic yeah, it's a love three, triangle movie. It's a three-hour French wow. melodrama about a love triangle that goes nowhere. Yeah, Anna, you missed so much. I wasn't even <laughs> okay. on that episode, but I watched it with them. Actually, Oof. Anna, you oh, yeah. would find a lot of it very interesting because there's this like weird kind of tension between... You would. You would. <laughs> I feel like... I don't know. You wouldn't like a lot of it, but you would like because they're they're like theater actors in a very specific period in history, and there's mm-hmm. this kind of tension between like the full-on theater actors and the like the kind of mime what is it called mm-hmm. pantomime oh. pantomime oh, so, yeah. yeah and and man the pantomime in the movie is incredible okay. it's good pantomime you're actually right i think i would i think in, you would like appreciate it and if there's, not enjoy it there's this really good <laughs> bit where this guy is getting heckled right and then he like just does this like brutal takedown of them and sort of in front of the whole audience that like is like the last part of his play as he like decided to like change the script yeah. and just flip it and do something different and then he just like lays into this guy in front of the audience it's anyway there's a lot of very entertaining wow. bits i would show you the highlights of it i don't know if you'd want to okay. watch the full three hours but yeah but that good. that's my main critique there are some fun bits but it's three hours long <laughs> i mean it's not as long as the new justice league cut that's oh, coming out it's coming soon oh my god uh, but it's okay, probably but... about just as enjoyable as that will be Probably a just, little just bit more. Watch, just little wait more. until we watch uh, A Brighter Summer Day, Summer's Day. It's true. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That movie is <laughs> long. Well, yeah, <laughs> so long. But it's it, a long depression movie. We can do a long depression movie. That's I true. like long It's not, it's. Uh, oh. Yeah. Is it not depressing? It, uh, I mean. I heard it was a yeah. movie about war crimes, but mm-hmm. it might. I, I mean, is no. It, okay. Well, okay. It's really hard to explain. There is a lot of stillness in the movie. Hmm. Like, I feel like you could cut out an hour of stillness and not lose any plot, hmm. which I'm not saying like, I love movies with stillness. I think it's really beautiful, but just to give some context for how much space there is. I'm excited to have, like a fellow appreciator of stillness on the podcast. Yes, <laughs> where I'm were with you when we covered Tokyo Story? I would have. Had I'm an all ally. about stillness and shoe noises. <laughs> shoe noises. Oh. Yeah, okay. like in um, the Grand Budapest Hotel. It's like my like one yes. of my like favorite okay, parts of yeah. the movie is like the little shoes. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes. We're, we, so I think you and I probably have more similar tastes so i actually okay, I, but remember we're twins so we are twins that's a good we, point this is not i guess news. this isn't this isn't yeah. surprising really yeah um i mean you did watch i think of your own accord you watched patterson recently so like yeah i mean yes. that's you know that's about as oh, you know about i'm as just chilling by myself so on good. a friday night might as well watch patterson yeah. it's, it's the most it's the most meaningful movie i really so good. i wanted to find a way to cover that on here um but hey, next semester I actually got this is has nothing to do for for audio listeners. They 
mm-hmm. they have they're getting nothing from this conversation <laughs> but mm-hmm. i got the go-ahead for the like sigma Tau delta group to actually run some movie nights on campus nice um, nice so if i end up being on campus next semester i am thinking the two that i'm gonna do is i'm gonna pick a malik it's gonna either be the tree of life or uh-huh. uh, a hidden life and make if you everybody do tree watch of it. life uh mcqueen will be there he will, but he will have to be there anyway because he's running Sigma Delta. <laughs> That's true. Um, so I, I think I might do a hidden life just because it's three hours long and I can make everybody do it. <laughs> and I, and like all of the English professors, like Dr. Brian, will have to be there. Everybody will have to be there, and then I can get up and give my long rant on on that. And it will mm. I will be allowed to do that. I'll be giving a lecture essentially. And then yes. I want to do Patterson. That's the other one. Uh, well, here if you want to cover it on the podcast sort of we could find some way to incorporate like a a jarmush retrospective into patreon extras that's true for our one patreon (gasps) supporter yeah which we should call out we should we should should mention uh guys we are we're loaded now uh we're rolling in it so Um, much money guys like i was gonna say we don't even need y'all anymore but i guess technically you're paying the bills so we do um we we have our our precious boy, our our most precious boy Silas. Yes, yes. Um, who I think was on the Wizard of Oz episode. Two episodes. Mm-hmm. So if you want to hear, yes. our 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 beloved patron. <laughs> yeah, he's he's in our podcast yes. feed. It was the Wizard of Oz and Snow White? No. Yeah. Yeah. Snow yeah. White. Mm-hmm. Those two episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Long ago. Good times. Very early on in the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um. But but thank you so much uh, to yes. Silas. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't remember what the tier name is, but we can just call you the best friend of the pod. You can follow him on Letterboxd if you, you want can. To. Okay. At High Silas at High Silas. Very <laughs> yeah. good, uh, very fun reviews, mm-hmm. and yeah. also I think a YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. I can't I can't remember what the channel name. I, I think probably also High Silas. Um, some short films, uh, a a, dy- a dystopian <laughs> um, movie. Which is uh, like kind of a spoof on dystopian, on the dystopian genre, which is very funny. Um, so that's that's our plug for our guy Silas, who honestly probably ha- has more followers than we do, maybe. <laughs> I mean, probably. Probably. We're yeah. starting a grassroots movement here. We're still on the <laughs> on the up and up. Right. Yeah. We're we're gonna we're gonna make it there eventually. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, he has seventy three subscribers. Not bad. Yeah. He is at High Silas on YouTube, and all of his short films are there. Wonderful. Yeah, so go check that out Heck if yeah. you want and to. And mini movie essays that I forgot he used yes, to do. Yes, the mini they're, essays they're were really so good. Fun. <laughs> yeah, highly recommended. They're fun. Anyway. Um, but yeah, thank you, Silas. That was a big plug. That was a very big plug. Thanks, uh, maybe we could also plug ourselves a little bit. I don't <gasps> know. What? I don't think we have as much time for it now. I mean, on uh, the budget. You can find us uh, on in- Instagram at Movie Overload Pod, uh, Twitter at Movie Overload underscore. That sounds about right. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I have to question this every time. Movieoverloadpod.com? Uh, Movieoverloadpod.com, yes. Uh, we're on Patreon, obviously. Somewhere, if you just search for us, you'll probably find it. Yeah, we're um, we're there. I think we have links to pretty much everything on our website Yeah, as well. if you just go to the website, you'll find everything. Um, if you're unaware that we have a YouTube channel, we do. Yeah. Um, I guess this is probably our first filmed one. Well, we're going to try it. How we, how we I just realized that editing... The audio and the video simultaneously will be kind of maybe a weird task that I'll have to figure out. Yeah, that but might we'll be see. a little well, whack. We'll see how it goes. 
Maybe. I mean, you can just I don't know. send the video over to me. Yeah, true. True. Because you're like editor-in-chief. I usually just edit the audio track on its own. I'm I'm just an editing intern. That works. At at a place. I don't know what I'm doing yet, but Mm -hmm. I can try. That's how it goes. Hey, I mean, at this point, y'all is doing so much more than I am. Um, Thank you very much. I will will bring my dulcet tones every time, and I will provide a very rambly and complicated introduction, and that's all I can really promise. You are right. We love you for it. (laughs) Well-vetted academic work. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'll go with it. Mm-hmm. I want to do a retrospective on Seven Samurai uh, when I'm done with my thesis. Thank you. I think that would be fun. Because at that point, what was what would have been a like three-hour, 45-minute episode of the podcast <laughs> can now be more like a 20-hour episode wow. of the podcast. So Delightful. Let's go into it. Um, yeah, do we have any final thoughts on this movie? Maybe how we felt about it as a whole? Where we'd place in our rankings, uh, how, we're, how we're feeling about Bergman before kind of wrapping up. I actually up. have a comment about rankings mm. because I was reflecting on this. So my top three movies that I think every single person should watch, um, and this isn't, well, okay, 12 Angry Men, mm-hmm. uh, which we're watching next week. Yeah. Lars and the Real Girl oh, and... Um, Take. Oh my gosh, wait, what's that movie called? <laughs> oh my gosh, it's like my favorite movie. Why can't I remember what it's called? Uh, what's Life it is about? Wonderful. Life Who's is beautiful. In it? No, it's not Life is Beautiful. It's, it's a um, wonderful life? Dang, I feel like a horrible person. No, I was literally telling <laughs> my friend about this last night. This when, has to be when, when you showed out. me, right? When, yeah. No, it's another... Okay, the, 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 what, I'm, what I'm trying to get at is that... <laughs> Two of my three most favorite movies are black and white movies mm. from like the 40s and 50s. So um, it's not the Guernsey Literary Potato Peel Pie Society. No, but that's a good movie. <laughs> mm. um, oh my gosh! Is it, uh, just go with twenty. Tw- just Casa go with twentieth century women. Uh, no, it's the one about the guy who has the rabbit fringe. Oh, 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 Harvey. Harvey? Yeah. Harvey. Like the. Th- the stage play adaptation yes with that uh, huh yeah i have not and seen not that because, movie not because it's like that. particularly well done i think it i don't know i think it's nice but also just like the story itself I, um anyway yeah. all i'm trying to say is that three out of my top four movies ever are black and white movies from the 40s and 50s and i just think that's interesting we're going for that's it you're you're yeah. you're in the right era you, you jumped in I at mean, the right time uh-huh yeah, you guys you're... can't see me, but I I usually am like fully vintage style. <laughs> so yes. I I use foam rollers every night, and it's fantastic. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think my favorite. If I had to pick three movies that everybody should see, um, I I, I don't know. I guess Patterson would be one of them. It's a good. One. Um, I don't know. For me personally, like Francis Ha's been pretty significant, mm-hmm. but like I don't know if that's what the one that I would I would put there. I really feel like people should watch Tokyo Story. I know nobody's gonna like it, but like it <laughs> it's really had just such a significant like Good. impact. Yeah. It's it's a really beautiful film. Um, and probably a Chaplin. Just any Chaplin. They're all so good. Um. I I always try to pick a favorite Chaplin movie, and I can't. So I'm just gonna say like watch Modern Times and then move on um interesting yeah 
I feel compelled to say things now. Go for it. Even though I, as a concept, I don't think I'm equipped to discuss this <laughs> because this the films hard. that are meaningful to me are meaningful to me and the films that are going to be inter- meaningful to you are going to be meaningful to you. <laughs> and you just need to go out and explore because sometimes a film that everyone else hates is going to like blow your mind and That's change true. your perspective Some on everything. Some people really love the Keanu Reeves 47 Ronin. Oh God. I <laughs> Do they? Yes. yes. Is that a... That's mm-hmm. a guy that we used to work with yeah. insisted that that was like the best movie he'd ever seen. Uh, so, yeah. uh, okay, so he's not wrong, <laughs> but I don't want to talk to him about movies because I will become sad. That's the th- You're not <laughs> wrong. Watch whatever you want. I will be sad if you watch the Keanu Reeves 47 Ronin and think that it's the best movie ever made. Bummer. That's a, that's a good statement. How about for you, Hunter? Uh, my only statement is watch Paddington 2. You're right, though. <laughs> Paddington 2. A We're delightful romp. You know, we could have had Patterson on this list, but instead we have Paddington 2. And I I honestly don't know if I can really... I don't think I have it in me to change I, that up, you it, know? Yeah. Like, I, I think I, that I, it has to stay. Mm, Paddington 2 is the best children's movie ever made. I love it. Um, objectively. I like no, Castle no in the Sky. Castle in the Sky is really good that movie but it, was it, my childhood and that was my favorite miyazaki film for a long time that was one of my favorite movies for a long time it's still not paddington 2 like i'm sorry um but <laughs> we we paddington can too. we can move uh, on um my only last thing is i have a small anecdote mm-hmm. that yeah. this this movie brought up uh seventh, seventh seal specifically oh. <laughs> uh brought up <laughs> a Art like Earth? weird old childhood memory for me if that makes sense hmm. yeah um it just reminded me of the existence of this like this kids book like a big like picture book thing that i read when i was young and i had to look it up cuz i couldn't remember the name of it but like i just remembered that the ending had always kind of stuck with me and it's called keeper of souls mm. except it's spelled s o l e s so it's kind of a joke but like uh-huh. the the cover art has like the guy the main character like playing chess with death and death kind of is looking like how he looks in this movie gotcha yeah. That's um, great. But the story is that he's like a cobbler and death is like, I'm here. It's, it's your time. And he's like, but what if I gave you these six sandals? <laughs> and death's like, okay. <laughs> and then leaves. And it's basically just kind of this funny, like, I don't know, journey of that happening over and over again. And I just remember that the ending is being like, okay, I'm here for your soul. And the guy's like, I have given you soul after soul after soul. And then Death, <laughs> think that's, Death thinks that's so funny that he just like leaves him alone again. That's great. And <laughs> it's kind of fun. I remember it caught my eye because it has this really like kind of weirder, distinct art style to it. And I haven't seen it in a really long time, but it's always stuck with me. That's incredible. That's so I really cool. like that. That's kind of, honestly, that kind of beats the pop culture reference I was going to go to. Ooh. The obvious one of just Bill and Ted's bogus journey. <gasps> yes. Well, yeah. You know, they have the same bit, except right. instead of playing chess, they play Twister. You know, oh, yeah. Twister's yeah, one of them, right. Battleship. They just play all these different <laughs> games and they keep beating death and death's like, oh, best out of seven. Uh, yeah. <laughs> It's very funny. Yeah. Uh, it's really, really funny. That's my favorite bit of probably any of those movies. Oh, nice. yeah. um, cool. Good movie. Mm. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I'd give Seven Seal a four and a half. It's probably in the top 10 of movies we've covered, at the mm-hmm. very least for me. It's pretty good. Uh, yeah. Something like that. I think, it, I think it's good. 
it's not Tokyo Story for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love the fact that I unironically think Tokyo no, Story is yeah, the best it's one. Good. It's good. Yeah. You know? It's uh it's something I'm gonna hold on to forever. Mm-hmm. Even even <gasps> when I rewatch it and hate it the second time I'm gonna pretend like I didn't. Very cool. Heck yeah. Um is there, is there anything else uh, we should say before we wrap up? I don't know. I think we're okay. All good? No cool. no final thoughts? Okay. Yeah. Well then uh, I guess I have to do the thing where I slowly Wait, uh, I found one. ramble I found trying one. to find no, a quote, uh, as we say at the end Wait, hold on. I just of every episode of uh, the podcast when it ends, and I ramble on and on trying to I have to a very profound quote for you. Time. Okay, are you ready? This is what we say. <laughs> Whichever way we turn, our rump is behind us. <laughs> yes! <laughs> you, you did it. Yes! <laughs> I'm proud. I... I forgot that that was there. I had to look it up again. But That's yeah, the most profound line of all the lines in the movie. Thank you for watching <laughs> or listening, Hooray. depending on what you did. Some combination, mm-hmm. perhaps. Uh, amen. I think. I think that's, that's the end of the podcast. Great. <laughs>
buzzed out of my mind and I'm like watching this movie about philosophy and then I had to like run up the hill and I was in this discussion about racial reconciliation and it was just like the weirdest day of so many things happening all while like singing punk rock songs Mm -hmm. about like women's empowerment I don't know it was a weird day something I can only imagine you pulling off (laughs) it's incredible